0: Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but can't find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, Design B&B is looking for a junior designer in Chicago, Illinois. Digital Ocean is looking for a senior product designer. This position is in New York City, but is also open to remote candidates. National Geographic is looking for a senior design editor for National Geographic Magazine in Washington, DC. And Abby Wawa is looking for a UX UI designer. This position is in the Washington DC area, but is also open to remote candidates. For just $99, your job listing will be featured on our job board for 30 days. And we'll spread the word about it to our diverse audience of listeners. We also offer an annual job board subscription for companies and organizations. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more info on these listings. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast. A weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, I want to take some time out and thank our accessibility sponsor for this episode, Brevity & Wit. Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They accomplish this through graphic design, presentations, and workshops around IDEA, Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Accessibility. If you're curious to learn how to combine a passion for IDEA with design... Check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. Support for Revision Path comes from Adobe Max. Adobe Max is the annual global creativity conference, and it's going online this year, October 26th through the 28th. This is sure to be a creative experience like no other. Plus, it's all free. Yep, 100% free. With over 25 hours of keynotes, luminary speakers, breakout sessions, workshops, musical performances, and even a few celebrity appearances, it's going to be one-stop shopping for your inspiration, goals, and creative tune-ups. Did I mention that it's free? Explore over 300 sessions across 11 tracks, hear from amazing speakers, and learn new creative skills, all totally free and online this October. To register, head to max.adobe.com. Now for this week's interview, where we're doing something a little different. I'm talking with Reese Fuller, Senior Writer at Work & Co. in New York City. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do.
1: I'm Reese Fuller. I'm a writer. I think that's sort of manifested as, you know, being a brand copywriter in some instances, uh, a verbal designer in other instances. But right now, I'm a, a senior writer at an agency called Work & Co.,
0: all right. Now we're in the second half of the year by the time this uh this interview airs will be in August. My goodness. How's twenty twenty one been for you so far?
1: It's been good. It's been a lot better than twenty twenty, uh I'll say <laughs> I'll say that much. But yeah, it's it's been good. I think the summer I'm in I'm based in New York, so the city now is sort of reactivating, as I like to say in a lot of ways. So it's just been you know, really good to reconnect with friends, uh, really good to start going out again, just be outside more comfortably. I think uh, work has been going really well. Just excited to, you know, see what the future holds. Things have just been really positive, trying to maintain that energy. Nice.
0: And I guess, you know, kind of along that, along that vibrational frequency, since we're talking about energy, uh, mm-hmm. do you have any sort of plans or anything, anything you're manifesting for the rest of the year?
1: Yeah, I mean I'm I'm pretty excited. Uh, I got a a wedding coming up next month in okay. September. Your so wedding? Be headed, uh, no. Oh. <laughs> a wedding of a friend, wedding of a friend. Okay, a okay. I haven't seen in a while given we've all been kind of uh, <laughs> hunkered down uh, these these past several months, 18 months or so. Uh, but yeah, looking forward to going home and reconnecting with some friends that I haven't seen in a while. Yeah, professionally, I think there are a few really interesting opportunities on the horizon some work we've done with past clients over the past several months sort of manifesting into more work which we're all super excited about so eager to get started on those projects as well yeah but yeah, yeah just looking forward
0: was it kind of a big departure i know work and co has offices in a lot of different cities they have had one in new york as well but was it a big shift you know when the pandemic sort of started to shifting from working in office to now being remote
1: yeah totally i mean i i started at work and co in April of 2020, just as the pandemic was sort of kicking into high gear. So yeah, it was a, a really interesting experience, I'd say, getting to know people strictly through a Zoom screen, you know, having not met most of the teams and people I'd be working with in the day to day in person yet. But I think in a number of ways, it was better for me as maybe as an individual, also as a writer, you know, I found that. In some places, it can be kind of hard to find the the headspace or the quiet space to get like really down into like writing mode, you know, like heads down mm-hmm. kind of approach. So yeah, being able to work from home and just have more like control over my space and my time was really an interesting and positive departure. I'd say definitely had its challenges as well, but in a lot of ways, it, it worked out for the better.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think with any sort of thing like that, especially if you've been used to working in offices mm-hmm. and now you start a completely new gig and it's at the time, like 100% remote, like there is a bit of an adjustment period to just kind of shifting into that different mind frame. Because yeah, you have sort of the conveniences of home, but you also have to be able to really, I think, compartmentalize the fact that you're working from home, and that you can't do the same stuff at home that you would do if you weren't working.
1: Yeah, no, totally. I started to miss the commute in a weird way, just just, to speak on compartmentalizing, just like be able to change, you know, from headspace to headspace, work life to home life. Um, a lot of that kind of happens, or at least happened for me, on the train uh, going to and from the office. So, you know, when your commute becomes walking to the kitchen table, you know, and taking a seat, <laughs> uh, it's not, it's not too much of a, too much of a transition. So. Yeah.
0: So, tell me more about uh, the work that you're doing at work & Co.
1: Yeah. So, like I said, I'm a, a senior writer at Working Co. I think pretty largely that means ux writing is how i would describe it otherwise but it kind of feels like it it's more than that so i'll say organizationally we we sit as part of the design team but the role itself is super cross functional so i'll work with you know designers or strategists or even sometimes the new business team but generally i just say like what my goal is the stupidest way to put it is that like I make the words sound good or as good as they can. So if that's in a product, for example, it's about making the user experience, you know, however we want it to be. And that could mean maybe it's simpler or more educational or, you know, more inspiring or engaging or whatever. But ultimately just having a sort of goal in mind or a vision for how the product feels and sounds and what it's all about and trying to communicate that, translate that and express that through writing and shaping the design process as a part of that as well.
0: Now, anyone that has, I think, listened to this show for, I don't know, maybe the last two or three years has definitely heard me really sort of beat the drum as it comes to why designers need to write more or they need to start getting into writing. And it's interesting because to that end, with this being a design podcast, we haven't had any writers on. You're the first writer that we've had on the show. Which congratulations making Black Thank
1: History you. truly <laughs> truly an honor every day <laughs> making Black History.
0: Uh, but like as I've done this show and I've you know gotten to talk with design managers and product managers at a bunch of different places, I've seen design departments now start to include writers more as part of their teams. Like they may call it something different than writer; they may call it content designer, UX writer, etc. But like they're including writing sort of as part of the team. Can you sort of talk to me about, you know, the importance of writing in the design process? Because you said that you, you know, you sort of make the words sound good, but what does that process really entail in the design process?
1: Yeah. I mean, at Working Co specifically, I think I've had a really great opportunity to be on a few projects almost from end to end, you know, starting in the sort of concepting phase where we're going broad, I would say, you know, just figuring out, you know, the best expressions, most interesting expressions of whatever sort of problem we're trying to solve with the product, get it down in a detailed design where we've had, you know, a number of reviews with the client or or more settled in on a more specific product vision and getting into the nitty gritty of like, what should this microcopy be? Or like, what's the best articulation of this CTA? You know, and even down to some extent into, you know, engineering and development, when we actually build and then ship the projects that we're working on too. just sort of availing myself as a resource for any like last minute sort of edits or thoughts from a writing perspective. But I think the biggest sort of addition that a writer brings to a project is just a different perspective and a different approach. You know, it's like coming from other kinds of writing backgrounds, just thinking about not just the words, but the entire sort of message and personality that is expressed through words in a project um, is just a, a different approach. You know, you hear so often that projects are often made stronger, the work made better by more diverse teams in a number of ways, you know, whether that's gender, race, or religion even. Um, but I think discipline is another sort of degree vector for that that type of diversity as well. Just adding a writer to the mix is just a, a new way of looking at the work. I see a lot of the conversations that I'll have with PMs or designers might fall under the category of content strategy others maybe more brand expression but at the end of the day it's always about just making the work as as strong as it could be and do what it needs to do.
0: It's interesting you brought that up from a sort of diversity standpoint because yeah in this case it's diversity of discipline but also I would imagine it is just a diversity of perspective. I mean, if you've got a bunch of designers on a team, they may still all be looking at something through a specific design eye or a design lens or a design framework or something. And you can come in not being, you know, say a visual designer and look at it in an entirely different fashion that they wouldn't have even thought about. That sort of uh input is like super valuable because you don't want to have homogenous teams that are just cranking out the same stuff without those sorts of considerations into play.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally.
0: And like I see, you know, writing gigs, like I mentioned, they have different titles or content designer, content specialist, content strategist. I think earlier you said verbal designer, like mm-hmm. you, you said that. I've never heard that one. That's a new one to me. Do you think that it helps to sort of have all these distinctions when it comes to
1: that? I mean, I think so. I think in the same way, people sort of subdivide visual design specialty or focus, whether you're a product designer or a brand designer or a motion designer, I think, although there's a lot of overlap in those skill sets and the tools that you use and your approach to the work, you're still approaching things from the same perspective, either visual or verbal. And I think when on the verbal side or the writing side, we begin to sort of make those distinctions as well, like you said, between content strategists or UX writer or verbal designer, even I think those are just other ways of articulating what more specific perspective you might be approaching a project from and what skills you might bring to a conversation. So that's not to say that you can't, in a lot of moments, sort of contribute beyond that sort of specific role or specific title even, but it just helps to sort of set expectations and a level set on what you might be able to bring to the project.
0: Mm. Now, what does your creative process look like when it comes to starting on a project? Like where do you sort of come in the mix?
1: Oh, it kind of depends. I think my approach, you know it'll vary project to project, but typically what I want to do is you know find the person on the project who either is the most senior or sort of driving the conversation and kind of grab their ear, you know a little bit. I think a lot of the time, whether you're a writer or a designer, uh, the experience can be sort of getting brought onto a project sort of in the in the middle of things like we've gotten feedback from a client already and we're just solving this specific ask or um, alternatively, you're, it's a new project kickoff, you know, and it's a brand new onboarding experience for everybody. But typically just like trying to find the person or persons who feel like they're leading the conversation and sort of getting a sense of place and geography around like what the bigger goal of the project is at present. And then after like kind of figuring that out, seeing what problems I can be able to solve with words, you know, it could be a very tactical thing. Like we are, you know, in our third set of design feedback on this specific purchase flow. And right now the client thinks that the copy is just too long and like uninspiring. So can you make it shorter and simpler and like sparkle a little bit more, right? Like that as a one approach, or it could be that sort of on the other end of that spectrum, maybe there's like a bigger organizational issue, almost where the product or brand even does not have a distinctive voice. There's no documented uh, set of brand guidelines for voice and tone, and maybe using that as an opportunity to contribute as a writer and produce, you know, an, an artifact and object that is super useful and helpful and it can help sort of put guardrails around design decisions for the future. Um, So it, it does vary from project to project, but ultimately it just goes back to trying to, you know, solve problems by using words, whatever those problems are.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would imagine the stuff that you're writing. It's, it's a lot of different stuff. Like it's, it's copy in terms of, I mean, I don't know. It would depend on what the type of project is, but I would say like, like actual, like paragraphs of copy, or you may be doing micro copy, like alerts or statuses or things like that. Is that kind of how it generally breaks down with the type of writing that you do on a project?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a, a pretty big portion of it. I think there are other opportunities as well where we can sort of get in a little bit further upstream. And like I mentioned, be able to sort of define the voice and tone for a brand or a product and have that be a, a little bit more of a high level output. But yeah, I know a lot of the time it is sort of executions like that, where it's, here's a moment where, you know, a user might be frustrated, you know, a pain point. Can we, you know, insert, you know, a simple little bit of microcopy or a toast or a notification to sort of like lift their spirits and like usher them in the right direction? And what is the expression of that verbally that feels right for the brand and also doesn't take up too much time, you know? See, so yeah, that is, in a lot of instances, copy executions like that.
0: There's a gig that I worked at recently where I was doing... um some content strategy work. And I was in a meeting, I forget, I forget who it was. I wasn't at this gig very long, but I was at, I was in a meeting and I remember one of the designers, I don't know, they kind of just went off talking about how much they hated writing. It was because they had, I think they had started to create some copy and people were giving feedback on the copy and she just sort of burst into this sort of tantrum, like, I just, I just hate writing. Writing is not my thing. I hate writing. We really need to have someone else to do the writing so I don't have to think about it. I'm not a writer. I'm a designer. I'm here to design. Why am I writing? And it was like, whoa, especially because I was the content strategist for that particular project that she was ranting about. <laughs> but like, it's interesting how, I mean, I don't know if this is a sentiment shared share by a lot of designers, but I would imagine Being a design writer or being a writer on a design team like that does sort of, I guess, help in terms of not giving the more visual designers or maybe the like more front end people, you know, stuff they have to worry about when it comes to like, oh, does this sound right?
1: Yeah, no, totally. I I mean, although I am a writer, you know, there is a part of me that like hates writing, too. You know, it is. Yeah, it is work. It is a craft. You know, it is something you have to try hard to get better at. But also, you know, I I, a lot of the time hate trying to design, too, because like I think maybe share somewhat of a similar experience to this designer you mentioned where it's like you're trying to express yourself or like get something out that like fulfills a purpose or solves a problem. But you just don't necessarily have the tools or just like doesn't feel right. Like when I'm trying to put frames together and like move copy around in Figma and I'm just now learning the tool and like. It's this deep learning curve. Like, that's frustrating. So definitely like feel that sometimes too. But I think part of the beauty of, like you mentioned, this sort of shift in the the makeup of design teams to include more writers is that recognition of like, this is sort of balancing the expression a little bit more and making the product feel a little bit more whole and like fully considered. Because I, I think about like, like some of my earlier internships as advertising copywriter, I would describe it as, and those more traditional art director, copywriter duos where there is a person who thinks and communicates and expresses themselves visually that has a a dedicated partner who is someone who thinks and communicates and expresses themselves with words. And that being the sort of dynamic that hopefully produces more balanced, better work at the end of the day because people again just like approach creativity differently so yeah it's i think writing is i think a lot more oh maybe debatably like a more democratic kind of expression like i feel like although a lot of people will say yo i'm not a writer like everyone writes yeah well not everybody but like most people in professional context have to write to some capacity
0: yeah you gotta um, write an email
1: yeah okay. exactly right or a slack message So when it comes to putting words in a product, you know, uh, hopefully millions of people are going to use and it be helpful or functional for them, like there's kind of a lot of pressure on those words to be right, let alone like presenting those words in front of like a a slew of clients and stakeholders. So yeah, it can be frustrating in a a lot of instances, but I do think having, you know, writers on the team, again, just balances that out and gives someone the opportunity to own that part of a project as well. And also help shape the design process, too.
0: You know, it it almost sounds like writing is a form of design.
1: Who'd have thunk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think of, I can't remember the name of the researcher, but there was an experiment where people would see either like rounded shapes or more angular shapes and be asked by the research team, would you describe this? shape as more of a kiki or a baba. And more often than not, people would uh, name the angular shape a kiki and the rounded shape a baba. um, Because I think there is some inherent connection between, you know, processing things visually and processing things verbally that we kind of all just begin to understand in a, a very similar way. So I do think to bring it back to your earlier point that They're just two different kinds of expressions, two different kinds of design uh, at the end of the day.
0: What do you think people misunderstand when it comes to like what you do being a writer in the design process? Is there other things that people just don't
1: get? I think one of the things that I've kind of had some conversations around in the past, just to sort of, I think, like setting people straight feels like a little bit too intensive a way to describe it. But it is a lot more sometimes, uh, it can be, hopefully, then, although I did use this phrase earlier, like making the words sound good. That's part of what we do, yes, as writers on design teams, but to the spirit of thinking of writing as a kind of design, it really is, in a more holistic way, shaping uh, a project or a piece of design through writing in a way that is bigger than just, does this like sentence fit on a CTA button and like look good? Does the type laid out on this headline um, for your welcome email like look like too much copy? Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's a lot of moments where, or I've, I've experienced several moments where it's like the design feels like it's already kind of set in place, and they just want a writer to come in and like line edit the copy. Mm-hmm. But we can really bring, I think, a lot more to a project than that by being brought on at an earlier phase. So, yeah, I think that's one of the bigger misconceptions. Yeah,
0: I see writing as being super important because good writing engages all your senses. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, you read something, you hear it in a way. It also kind of I don't know if if I might be stretching this in terms of taste, but like, you know, when you've read something that is difficult to read or like it sounds cumbersome or something like that, it just kind of like doesn't sound right or feel right in your mouth, right? But then Mm -hmm. even good words that you use can trigger certain memories. Good words can trigger a scent memory. It can trigger a taste memory. It could trigger a touch memory or anything like that. So, I mean, it's really important because there's so many words that you can use. There's, of course, slang and jargon. That sort of factors into it depending on what kind of project that you have. Like, writing is just such a really important part of the design process and you know I, I'm glad to see that design teams are really starting to embrace that more and keep writers kind of in the design fold because it is a really powerful part of of kind of what you know what it is that we do.
1: Yeah, totally and I think to your point it's it's also just shaping and communicating the personality of a product or a brand, you know like if you got a welcome email from, you know, a new retailer that you just signed up for their newsletter, like the difference between like, yo, what's up, Maurice, or like, hello, welcome to so-and-so Maurice, you know, like feels mm-hmm. very distinct. And that's a writing decision to make at the outset. So in every moment, you know, in every screen where there are words, that is an opportunity potentially to, to communicate something about the product that a user is using or I think more functionally, more uh, with more utility, like what they can get from it and how to do that. So, yeah, yeah, I think writing is yeah really important in that process in and, and a lot of ways.
0: Yeah. So let's kind of, you know, switch gears here a little bit. I mean, I know we've sure. gotten to know like a bit about your work and what you do, but I'm curious to just kind of learn more about like your origin story, essentially. So you say that you are in New York right now. Are you originally mm-hmm. from there?
1: No, I'm not. I've been in New York for maybe eight years or so, but I'm originally from Maryland. Okay. Um, so yeah, I grew up in the suburbs outside of D.C. I actually, I went to high school at the same high school as one of your former guests, Ari Malenciano. Okay. Um. Yeah. Uh, so we went to school in Maryland together. So there I was like really into STEM. So I was like kind of really interested in like physics and engineering I interned at NASA my junior year, Get out. the Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland. Yeah. So that was really fun. But that same year, I had a really awesome writing teacher and writing class. So I just like all of a sudden was like really interested in like writing as this structural craft. She like broke down like literally like the formula almost of how to write a good essay. And I didn't know that like writing could be so. Structural and like formulaic in a way that I was already thinking about math and science and like engineering Mm -hmm. and physics. Um, so I was like, oh, like now I'm really interested in writing. Let's pivot like super hard. So coming out of high school, I went to school in Baltimore, Maryland at UMBC. And I had like some personal life events happen that in addition to like the sort of burgeoning interest in writing really made me curious about why people behave, you know, act the way they do, why they think what they think. So I studied psychology and sociology. I did a, a double major, but I minored in writing and philosophy. So while I was learning about behavior on Moss, I was also like doing all these extracurriculars. Like I was like tutoring at the writing center on campus We had a a lit mag called The Bartleby. I was the fiction editor of. Um, I was writing for this online magazine that was like about like uh, fashion and like music, just kind of like streetwear culture. So like always, sort of complimenting, or at least it felt like my academics, more like research oriented studies with like this sort of extracurricular like creative thing on the side.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So like towards the end of undergrad, I was like. Okay, I want to be in or around advertising in some capacity. Um, Maybe I'm a strategist, you know, maybe I'm a copywriter. I'm not quite sure yet, but like still really interested, you know, in like why people think what they think and do what they do, like in groups. So I found this really interesting grad program at NYU in social and consumer psychology. And that's what brought me to New York. So it was, yeah, really research centric. We did like psychology of branding, cognitive behavioral research, just very like scientific. And through a lot of those classes, my teachers would tell me, it seems like you really are most excited for like the essays and those assignments versus the practice research. So I did a couple internships, consulting and copywriting just to sort of start dabbling, I think, in um, trying to make it more professionally as like a writer, so to speak. See, so yeah, I interned at like a this digital-first political strategy consultancy as a consultant one summer, and then the following summer, switch gears to like this full-service creative digital agency as a copywriter, and that was when like things started to kind of like pick up. I was working on campaigns, digital campaigns and commercials. We were doing a lot of scripts, but it was just fun. I remember we did we did an ad for like a a quick service like food chain where i like i don't know for whatever reason got super inspired and like wrote almost like a rap song for their like summer promo. The basically the lyrics were like how to sign up for this promo and get a whole bunch of free burritos, but like it was just kind of quirky and like funny and cool and like i had a really good time doing it and that's what kind of let me know that like okay like this is what i want to be doing like writing with like a group of creative people And like trying to put like a visual sort of expression around it or with it. So after that internship, I was able to find a job on WeWork's brand team. So I was the second copywriter they hired. But that was a really great experience because WeWork was just an already rapidly growing company um, with a whole bunch of like different kinds of creatives. There were architectural designers, interior designers, product designers illustrators, like everybody just like making stuff to like make these spaces and make the spaces really engaging and fun and like cool to be in. So I kind of just ran with that for a while. But then like there was pretty big org shifts at the company and I started to feel I didn't really like fit in as much as I would have liked to and wasn't really getting as fulfilled by the work as I would have liked. So I found an article online about this burgeoning discipline called verbal design at an agency called RGA and just sort of like sent a cold note to the head of verbal design there. Um, we got to talk in, I was really interested in like this more strategic, high level approach to writing where instead of like writing the tagline or the script for the commercial, it's we're going to name the brand, you know, like we're going to think very strategically about what this new sub brand or new product should be called and like why and like build a visual brand around that. Or we're going to put together 50 pages of voice and tone guidelines with, you know, a really clear articulation of like what you should always be trying to do when you're writing for this brand, how to do that. Some voice principles, you know, things you can incorporate into your writing to live up to that. Um, and I was just really interested in like that approach to writing like that kind of writing. Yeah. And then after that, I was, I want to start working on more digital things. I want to start making, you know, websites and apps and chatbots. And that's what brought me to Working Co. It feels like it's been kind of a, a windy road and lots of different kinds of writing along the way. But I do in some way, like use all of my past experiences the work that I do now. So it feels all worth it.
0: Wow. I mean, well, you summed it all up. We can wrap this it, interview up. No, I'm mm-hmm. kidding. I'm kidding. Let's let's go back because you covered a lot of ground there. So we're going to go we're going to go back a little bit here. So it sounds like college was kind of where you first got the sense that you sort of wanted to be a writer for a living. And it was interesting how you mentioned that you first were sort of on the STEM track and then you got sort of introduced to this writing teacher. And that sort of showed you how writing can be very sort of structural, you know, in that sort of way. It's very interesting because I also was on the, like, well, I mean, I was on the STEM track. My degree is in math, but like, I've been writing, oh my God, since a little kid, maybe since like four or five all the way up to now at my big age. But like I wrote all through middle school, all through high school, all through college, et cetera. And people always thought it was weird. It's like, well, how is it that you're like studying math, but then you're also Like a writer, like, how does that make any sense? What I would tell people is that structuring a mathematical proof is very similar to like structuring an essay. It's also very similar to structuring a proposal for like design services or web services. Mm -hmm. Like you, the certain aspects might be called different things. Like what may be called, I don't know, the brief inside of a proposal is the same thing as kind of setting up all of your kind of assumptions and corollaries and such for a proof like it's very much kind of the same thing so it's interesting that you really sort of picked up on that structural kind of building of writing because i think probably when most folks think of writing they they think you know shakespeare or Mm -hmm. you know like they think flowery prose or creative writing and i think even that has some elements of structure into it but it sounds like you were able to really make that distinction between the structure of making something sound good and how that is very similar to like a I don't know some maybe like an algorithm or something to that effect I also interned at NASA not in high school like you okay j- genius <laughs> I <laughs> I interned in uh in college I I worked at Ames Research Center for a summer and I worked oh, wow. at Marshall Space Flight Center down in Huntsville
1: oh wow man I feel like the more we talk the more we realize we have so much in common. That's yeah, that's, that's so funny, <laughs> uh, man. But no, yeah, totally. It's like the, I just felt like there was this, yeah, like this light bulb moment where I hadn't been thinking, yeah, of writing as at all a structured sort of kind of expression. I think done hooked on phonics, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, in elementary school or pre K. Even I don't remember how old I was, just to like learn you know, how to read and write, like the basics, you know, the grammar of it all. Yeah. Um, but even with those simple like nuts and bolts, hadn't taken the next step of thinking about how to write, you know, at length with form and structure and like some sort of, I don't know, cohesive sort of bodily, you know, shape to it or behind mm-hmm. it even. So yeah, when when I realized that like most, if not all good pieces of writing, like sort of follow similar tropes and patterns, given, you know, that genre, whether it's like a novel or, you know, the different kinds of expressions of poems or even, you know, the product work that I do now. It's like there are best practices, I would say, to use, I guess, a, a little bit of professional jargon. There mm-hmm. are approaches that work. So, yeah, that was just a, a really big light bulb moment for me. And now I'm just so interested in learning more of them and like using them to make good work with writing.
0: Yeah. Now, you mentioned that also like you interned at these agencies, you interned at, I think the, the first agency you were referring to was SS&K, and then mm-hmm. after that you were at Carrots, I believe?
1: Yeah, yeah, Carrot Creative.
0: At Carrot Creative. and then But you also kind of had this shift from working in these agencies to working in-house, particularly once you worked at WeWork, and I would probably say, well, I don't know, I guess working at Work & Co was kind of... Is that more, do you consider that more agency or more in-house?
1: I think, I mean, we are a product design and development agency. So I think of it as an agency, although it's very different than at least my other agency experiences have been.
0: Is there a big difference for you being a writer in an agency environment versus in an in-house environment?
1: From my experience, yes. The biggest has been in an agency setting, being able and encouraged to touch a much wider variety of types of businesses, types of projects. I just feel like especially at this stage in my career, I just want to like soak up as much like information and experience as possible, and that's why I feel more interested in working at an agency right now. I've worked on projects, you know, in industries like genomics or healthcare or retail or, you know, the nonprofit space. There's just like there's such a an array of like exciting opportunities when you're working at an agency versus when you're in-house you're really dedicated to that one brand you know that one set of products that one mission mm-hmm. um you really get to like focus in on a, in a very specific way especially as a, a writer you know just like very deeply understand and appreciate you know the voice and tone behind the brand or the company that you're working with and also mold it and shape it and evolve it in a, a unique way too. But I think the the biggest distinction, at least that I've experienced, has been choosing between like breadth and depth. So yeah, in my time at WeWork, I, th- I think I was there for like almost two years. Yeah, the like I mentioned, the, the org shifted, the focus of the brand shifted more from like small businesses and entrepreneurs to midsize businesses and like enterprise clients even. So that That was a big shift, I think, in the kinds of work that we were doing, you know, the the ways that we were articulating ourselves in marketing materials and advertising and even the core product, you know, the website and the co-working spaces themselves Mm -hmm. like that to sort of watch that happen from within was a really unique experience. But I also, you know, just like wanted to change it up a little bit too. And I think you sort of get that, that change of pace, which is great at an agency.
0: Now, with Revision Path kind of being the, the show that it is in the environment, you know, we talk to Black designers and developers and creatives and such. And so I may never, like, implicitly ask them, like, what's it like being a Black blank, you know, or something like that as in terms of what they do. But I'm curious for you, since you are the first writer on the show, like, being Black in the industry, what have your experiences been like as you've furthered on in your career?
1: I do feel, you know, blessed and highly favored. You know, I think I'm very lucky to have a lot of positive experiences, but it uh, certainly hasn't been like wholly positive either. I think part of what I've sort of felt in various roles and sort of moments throughout my career is this like Reese is here to make the words sound cool, like give mm-hmm. it a little bit of flavor. Almost, it's kind of like the yeah. energy I've kind of gotten in some contexts, and sometimes. And this is just me sort of trying to be honest about like my own perceptions of those moments. Like sometimes that I think might be me interpreting that coming from people or just like generally like what they're giving me or sometimes even what the project needs. So I think there's that layer of like, are you just asking me to like do this because I'm a black writer or like, Mm. is this like really what needs to happen?
0: Like, do people come to you expecting you to sort of slang something up a bit or, like, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Can you, you know, blacken like, this up a little bit? Like, something yeah, like almost,
1: huh? yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like people might say, like, oh, I don't have the, you know, cultural permission <laughs> to like do this. So, like, can you do this for me? Yeah. Um, just, so just like a little Kendrick
0: that, on it, you know? Right,
1: exactly. Like that little <laughs> wink, you know, and grin. That has been something I felt at moments throughout my career. But I also think, too, that even, you know, other. More senior black writers or other black professionals, even in the design industry, I've seen who I think in some instances very clearly have demonstrated a level of performance and excellence that is just like ridiculous. You know, it's like they're just so good at what they do, sort of being, you know, passed over for promotions or raises or even, you know, like more junior people making more money than them sometimes. So I do think that there is like a sort of maybe not an underappreciation of black talent everywhere, but it's definitely an issue that I've felt and also like talk, I think, very freely and openly, frequently about with some of my friends uh, who also work in the industry. But even with that in mind, I think, you know, especially after last year, it feels almost to be like a, a turning point or like a a reckoning moment where like the powers that be or at least more aware of, if not eager to sort of create a healthier culture and like dynamic for all kinds of black professionals. So that is something I'm really excited for and glad to be living through in a way.
0: Okay. Now say, you know, we've got someone that's listening to this and they want to follow what you do, or they want to, you know, maybe become a writer in the design industry. Now this might be a, a lofty question, but, I'm curious, like what advice would you tell them? Like, are there any sort of particular resources or anything they should check out? Anything like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd say, I guess sort of related to some of the points we chatted about earlier, like there are so many different kinds of writing and like ways to be a writer, you know, in design and technology and make a living. You know, it's like, I know people who just do naming. I know people who Mm -hmm. are really interested in focus on a brand copywriting, like they just want to do voice and tone guidelines or just want to do like commercials, you know, or just want to work in product. Like there's so many ways that writing becomes a part of the creative or design process. So I think having as clear a vision of what sort of subdivision of writing you're most interested in and like building a portfolio around that or making connections with people who do that kind of work, seeing the kinds of projects that they work on and are excited by. So you can just get a better sense of like what really jazz you up. Cause I think that's really like the secret sauce is to like, as often as possible, just do the things that get you the most excited. Even if that changes from like month to month, quarter to quarter, like Mm -hmm. year to year, just follow, it's going to be cliche, you know, like follow your passions. But I think that ultimately is what encourages anyone to show up more fully to a, a professional conversation. So yeah, just figuring out what that looks like for you, I think is the I don't know the best advice I could give. Yeah.
0: So there's some people that you said there's some people that just do naming and like these are, are design writers or there are some people that just do voice and tone work as it relates to like style guides mm-hmm. and things like that. OK, I'm I'm curious for myself. I just want to know this. Like, how do those work? I mean, I feel like that's such a specific like I almost feel like that's hyper specific To be a writer and only be able to focus on those sort of small things like voice and tone or naming as opposed to, you know, like what you would be doing with microcopy and things of that nature.
1: I think when you're like that specialized, especially if you're freelancing, you can command a little bit more compensation for the value that you would bring. Mm -hmm. I think... You know, there are examples, great examples of, you know, voice and tone guidelines. I think Adobe has a great one online. I think MailChimp is online as well. Yeah. Uh, as well MailChimp, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there, there are like examples online of like great pieces of work like that, articles. There's a brand blog. I think it's like how to build a brand that has like a, a series of great articles about different kinds of names, different approaches to naming just sort of like have in your toolkit in your arsenal be yeah, other ways to kind of figure it out in a way. And it doesn't necessarily like work or look the same for everybody, but just trying it out and like figuring out what your own process could look like and how you might approach making something like that if you're interested in it is an interesting way to go about it too. Because I think in a lot of those moments, it's like you kind of get to make the rules really. It's like you kind of yeah. get to brief yourself sometimes. You kind of get to, because a team typically who would be asking for help with naming might not know how that process really works. So you get to lead the conversation and although they'll obviously be giving you feedback, yeah. You can sort of steer them in the way that you want to go. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Okay. You and I'm gonna have to talk more about that (laughs) after this interview because that that really that extremely piqued my interest right now. So we may have to go more into that. Given kind of where you are in your career, who are some of the mentors and people that have really helped you out along the way?
1: You know, I think of all my old managers, really. Like when I was at WeWork, I think I mentioned I was the second copywriter that was hired to the brand team, but the first had come from Etsy prior. And yeah, she just kind of took me under her wing, showed me so much about like, product writing in that moment, too, because we were building new sort of micro sites and web activations for the company at the time. But I think really just like taught me not only how to show up as a writer and collaborate with different kinds of designers, but just kind of how to like navigate a company of that size, like a professional sort of setting in a way that was don't know, really authentic and special. So I appreciate that. And yeah, even moving on, like throughout my career, Yeah, just like a number of just like great, thoughtful managers and like team leaders, even that I think overall did a great job of being themselves in a way and like having their own creative process and inviting people to like become a part of that and sharing what they knew to work for getting work approved or producing good work, like different prompts or like writing techniques to sort of generate ideas, even. And all of those experiences have just been helpful for me in some capacity throughout my career. Um. So, yeah, like literally, literally everybody, literally everybody. And I, again, I say blessed and highly favored because literally everybody I've worked with has helped me in some way. So it's just been so great to have that experience.
0: Is this where you saw your career going, like when you first started out as a writer or, or rather when you first got into writing, like this teacher kind of introduced you to the mechanics of it. Is this kind of where you thought your career would end up?
1: Not at all. You know, I've am veered off course. I'm somewhere in the middle of the woods and just eating berries, I guess. I don't know. Weird, weird analogy. <laughs> um, but no, when I first had that teacher in high school who sort of like broke down how to write a good essay for me, I was really, I was like, I'm going to go to New York and be a music journalist. You know, like I'm... Going to be on the tour bus with Drake, like mm-hmm. backstage, writing down like all these, I don't know, really hot takes and his experiences into a really interesting story for like the spin, you know, the fader or like Spin Magazine. Like that was the kind of the approach that I had. But the more I think different kinds of reading or different kinds of writing that I started reading, and the more that I started to see writing appear, you know, advertising or, or at least think more deeply about the writing that appears in advertising and marketing and on the apps that I was using and the websites that I was reading. I was like, oh, like writing words are like everywhere. So like I have so much jurisdiction, like it's it's such a wider playground, a magazine or a book. So that was kind of the, the turning point for me where I was just like, okay, like if I'm interested in this medium and there are words there, like let's try and figure out how to be a part of that. So yeah, that was kind of the journey for me.
0: Is there any advice about writing or about your career that has like really stuck with you over the years?
1: Yeah. Read your work out loud mm. um, is a big one. Yeah. I think it's a lot easier for things to sound good in your head or like look good on paper. But when you read it aloud in your voice, you might hear things that you wouldn't otherwise. I think another one is to not be precious or not be a perfectionist, you know, I think again like writing is such a democratic even type of expression that I feel like when you're a designer you're like trying to solve a problem like produce like the air quotes like right answer, but a lot of times there's way more than one like right answer. So be really open to other ideas and suggestions from the people that you're collaborating with. Like just don't be precious about yeah, your work and your words. Because it could be better, you know, and it could be different. And a lot of the time, it's better even in a a collaborative setting to invite people into that process and um, sort of let their voices be heard in a medium that they're trying to express themselves in writing as well. So yeah, don't be precious and read your work. Yeah, I think those are the, the sort of top two pieces of advice I would give.
0: Is there anything that you'd like to do in your career yet that you haven't done?
1: I have been thinking a lot more recently about submitting more like creative writing to periodicals, lit mags, journals. I think that's something I've kind of gotten away from, you know, like when I was in undergrad, I was writing for like this online magazine and like the fiction editor of the lit mag at school. So a lot of the writing that I do now is more solution oriented, you know, just like making a project or product as whatever it needs to be as it can be. But I want to. I do want to get more into, or more back into, I should say, yeah, more just more creative writing. Uh, huh.
0: man, we just had we just had a design anthology called Recognize that we started back in twenty nineteen, mm-hmm. where basically like I would give a theme, and then people can write essays, basically design essays or design focused essays around that particular theme. Like for example, this year's theme was reboot. And people would write essays to that, 3,000 words or less. And we'd publish them, we'd pay them. We stopped doing it this year because we honestly there was a a woeful lack of interest among designers.
1: That's the stick of it, or the rub of it, right? It's like I I feel like at least my experience has been and I think that's why I'm trying to like get the pendulum to swing back the other way, is thinking of writing so much so as like a tool to solve a problem, you know? Mm -hmm. Like it's kind of hard to switch gears back into, you know, I'm just gonna write. Yeah, more creatively, like right in response to this prompt, you know, right to express an idea that I just had. So, yeah, I feel that pain. But yeah, it's a a muscle that I haven't used in a while and want to use more of. And, you know, I'd imagine a lot of other design writers might feel the same too.
0: Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we did it for three years. We had, and honestly, the pandemic also kind of killed it. I don't want to make it seem like it was totally just kind of lack of interest from people, but. Mm-hmm. You know, once the pandemic sort of happened, people were really kind of more focused on, you know, surviving, which is fair. Yes. You know, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> please try to live. Don't worry about trying to get 3000 words into me. Right. Like, right. Don't, don't worry about that. And I would say even to this end, you know, probably because things are still, I don't know, information is still changing every day around this. It's just not something that folks are super interested in. But I initially wanted to do the anthology because back in 2018, I had won the, uh, the Stephen Heller Prize for Cultural Commentary from AIGA and it's usually awarded to writers and I received it as a podcaster, but it got me to thinking about just the power of writing as a designer because it's something that I've always kind of proselytized to designers for years. It's like, I'm like, it makes your proposals better. It makes your case studies better, et cetera. But the more that I started doing this podcast and especially once I started really getting recognized for it, which is why we call the anthology recognized is that black designers writing ensures that we are in the design history too. Mm -hmm. Like it's very easy to go into, you know, a bookstore to go on Amazon or something and you can go to the design section. And there's a lot of design books and very few are by people of color, let alone black people. And it's not to say that the writing that black designers should do should always be in a novel, Or in book form, but it could be, you know, writing on medium. It could be something where people can sort of see your thoughts long form and get a sense of how you think and like what your process is and things like that. Like I want to see that because we're kind of the next generation, I feel of design writers out there. And we need to cultivate that. There needs to be a way to sort of let people know that, Hey, you can, the only writing you do doesn't have to be an email. You can also write about. A project or a thought process or things like that, you know, and I've been fortunate to have a few designers on here who are pretty good writers. And I don't know if they would really consider (laughs) like continually doing the writing, but like most recently I had Jeffrey Henderson on, who's a footwear designer in New York and he owns an agency called and them. He's been writing on medium probably for a few years now. Just such great writing. I would read an entire book of Jeffrey's writing cuz it's about projects it's about his thought process he weaves his own personal story into it coming you know from Cleveland and everything like it's so it's just so good and it's not writing that you see from black designers but it is ostensibly design writing
1: yeah i mean that's like uh, that's so important i think i mean like i said earlier it's like so much of great work comes from passion you know and so much of writing becomes better when it's grounded in intention. So, like, those things overlap, right? It's like if you have an idea uh, that you just feel so jazzed up about, like, getting that out through writing is what, in my opinion, like, produces better writing. So, um, I mean, and I mean, to your credit with having won that award, you know, for me to think about writing as it, you know, extends from, you know, a novel or a poem to the writing in an ad or, and a product even, you know, I think of even podcasting as, you know, an auditory, a verbal expression, a kind of writing too. So I don't think that that's too far, you know, off base, you know, maybe a departure from like the people who've won the award previously, but it's definitely kind of all connected. You know, it's like that, that kiki and that baba to go back to it. It's like these kinds of expression are kind of all intertwined uh, at, at the end of the day. So, yeah.
0: Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Like, what do you want your, your legacy to be?
1: Ooh, wow. You know, hopefully I think, you know, I like to say like doing what I'm doing now, but like on a bigger level, continuing to work on projects that I'm passionate about. I think one of the things I've been able to do more recently through working Co, actually, is begin to work on or work with a number of clients who are in the nonprofit space. We have the Work in Co fund, which is this allotment of a uh, million dollars worth of work, essentially invested in nonprofits that advance the Black community. So it's really the agency, like working to you know sort of leverage this ability that the agency has to you know build and design and develop and ship. Uh, these digital products to enact positive social change. So those are the projects that I've worked on more recently that feel most fulfilling and rewarding to me. So I'm I'm trying to think more about like how I can do more stuff like that, not only through Work & Co, but, you know, extracurricularly as well. So I think, you know, in five years, hopefully I'll have more of my day-to-day time devoted to projects that sort of fall in line with that.
0: And just to kind of you know, wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online?
1: I'm on LinkedIn, just Reese Fuller. It's Reese, like the uh, peanut butter filled chocolate cups, Fuller, F-U-L-L-E-R. Um, I'm also on Instagram. It's just at Reese Fuller uh, with an underscore at the end, but I don't really post all that much there. But yeah, I try to keep a, a pretty quaint, minimal digital presence, but I am very responsive. So, yeah, if you shoot me a message on LinkedIn or Instagram, I'll I'll definitely hit you back.
0: A writer that's not on Twitter? Wow.
1: Yeah, I had a Twitter <laughs> back in the day. You know, we can talk about Twitter. I had a Twitter back in the day. I still will like lurk on Twitter every so often. Yeah, still get my 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 laughs and my info. But yeah, just trying to be a little bit more yeah intentional, conscious, minimalize the 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 web presence a little bit. I think only so much output to give and trying to focus it in, in different places. That's a good
0: strategy to have. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Reese Fuller. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show, for being revision paths, first writer on the show. I think, you know, a lot of what you said about your process and how you work on projects at work and co, I think it's super important for designers and even developers and other creatives that are listening to hear, to kind of get a sense of what it's like to be on, I almost want to say the the other side of the process. You know, there's like left brain, right brain, and and writing mm-hmm. tends to be different from maybe more visual type of work. But I think it's also good to note that, you know, it's clear that you've put a lot of thought into the work that you're doing. I really get the sense you have like a strong work ethic and even just kind of like a strong ethical core as it relates to the type of work that you do. So I'm glad that you're able to kind of share that with us so other people who may be interested in becoming writers can do that as well. So thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it.
1: No, thank you for having me, Maurice. You know, I've listened to this podcast for so long. And when I was sort of getting ready and interested in getting into the industry, you know, listening to you and your guests chat about their experience taught me so much as well. So yeah, it feels amazing to... have that all come full circle and hopefully give some of that back to to folks today. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. It's really been an honor and I've enjoyed it.
0: Big, big thanks to Reese Fuller. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Reese and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. And of course, thanks to our wonderful sponsor brevity and wit. Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They accomplish this through graphic design, presentations, and workshops around IDEA, Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Accessibility. If you're curious to learn how to combine a passion for IDEA with design, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity & Wit, creative excellence without the grind. Support for Revision Path comes from Adobe Max. Adobe Max is the annual Global Creativity Conference, and it's going online this year, October 26th through the 28th. This is sure to be a creative experience like no other, plus it's all free, yep, 100% free. With over 25 hours of keynotes, luminary speakers, breakout sessions, workshops, musical performances, and even a few celebrity appearances, it's going to be one-stop shopping for your inspiration, goals, and creative tune-ups. And did I mention that it was free? (laughs) Explore over 300 sessions across 11 tracks, hear from amazing speakers, and learn new creative skills all totally free and online this October. To register, head to max.adobe.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. So what did you think of the interview? You know, this is the first time that we actually had a writer on the show. So we were kind of stepping out a little bit. I like how he called himself a verbal designer. I thought that was really cool. And I really wanted to illustrate how writing is such an important part of the design process. And like I said during the interview, there are so many design teams now that are starting to include writers, content strategists, etc., on their design team. So it's actually a viable position as a designer to be a writer these days. But I really want to hear from you. What did you think? Don't be a stranger. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram to search for Revision Path or leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Let everyone you know know about the show because it really helps us grow and reach more people all around the world. As always, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.